0: Hello, hello. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How are you? Doing okay. I've been following your um, post on Facebook about your um, Taiwan adventure.
0: Yes, I've been here now for about a little over a week.
1: Yeah, I, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. So do my listeners.
0: Not a problem um, whatsoever.
1: Um, to talk about your language learning journey, your YouTube channel, and your adventures in Taiwan. Because it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the language learning community, and I it, this is probably the first time I've actually had this conversation where someone's actually gone over to a country, and they're 100% immersed in, in the culture and the Living with a family, and and I thought, you know what, this would be cool to have Aspen come on and talk about his experiences totally. because a lot of a lot of people don't, you know, really know what that's like, like firsthand.
0: Yeah, and and for me, it's 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 always been a a pretty big part of my language learning. So the first trip I made to learn fifteen. So I went to France for three months to, and I studied basically at a, at a French high school Um, and it was like an exchange trip. And then I did the same thing for Spanish. I went to Peru and Chile. I did the same for for, for France. I've been multiple times. I've done the same with Mandarin, went to China and I'm in Taiwan. So for me, it's a pretty big part of my language learning process.
1: What? What made you want to get into language learning in the first place? Like, did you have family that spoke other languages? Or was it just, you know, I only knew French and English because of living in Canada?
0: I grew up with um, English and Gujarati, which is a language from India. My Mm -hmm. family speaks Gujarati, so I grew up with those. Mm -hmm. I went to a French version school growing up. I didn't necessarily feel overly excited or passionate about languages for the first while. It wasn't until I was 15 and my mom forced me, I didn't want to go. She forced me to go on a three-month French exchange trip to France. When I came back is when I started to realize that, oh, I think I like this language thing. And that's when I, that's probably the biggest moment where I started to kind of realize that, oh, this is kind of cool. And then from there, you know one thing led to another. I majored in French and Spanish in university. Um and started to learn about linguistics as well and then here we are now.
1: Wow. Yeah, I French for me along with Russian and Italian have been my three favorite languages, but I never learned them because I didn't take um uh, languages until I was in college. Mm. So, because the school I went to, they had French, but I was never put into those class types of classes. So, um, I mostly spoke English. I, I knew American Sign Language when I was little. I was fluent in that. But Spanish, I learned bits and pieces, you know, from TV, right. Sesame Street, stuff like that. And um, I had a Puerto Rican godmother. So... Uh, half Puerto Rican, half Black, and so I would try to actually speak Spanish or what I thought was Spanish, my version of it. Right. uh, You go through those phases where you make up a language. Yeah, that's definitely true. So, um, yeah, I I didn't learn my first foreign language until I got to community college like 19 years ago, actually.
0: But Yeah, and I find that's usually, it's often how it is for many people, they don't, a lot of people might enjoy learning languages, but they don't fully realize it because, maybe because when they're going through school, they didn't have a positive experience with it in language classes, or maybe they grew up in an environment or they grew up somewhere where maybe that wasn't a big part of their life. And even me, like, if you really think about it, um, I knew I liked languages reasonably early, like, I realized it, right, you know, call it late teenage years, early adulthood in that range. That's reasonably early. Right. But and even then, you know, I, in terms of what, what to do with it, I didn't really know. And I didn't really, I didn't even know that there were other people who liked languages. I didn't know there's online communities around it. I didn't know that people worked in that kind of field in a self-employed way. I didn't know. I just didn't really know until probably 20, maybe three years ago, two, three years ago was really when I, I, it hit me because I saw, for some reason, I don't remember what, how I came across it, but I saw a TED Talk by Tim Donor. And, it's, mm-hmm. and the title was something like 17-year-old speaks 20 languages or something like that. Yeah. And I was reading some comments, and I was like, wait, is this a thing? And then I started to look into it more. I started to Google, and then I thought I learned what a polyglot was. I learned the word hyperpolyglot. I started to learn more about the, the whole field. And that was kind of when I first started to realize that, oh, wait a second. First of all, there's a whole world around this, which I had no concept of before, which wow. meant that as an adult, there was only, only a certain percentage of my attention would go towards that passion because I just didn't realize that I could put more that there was a, uh, a community around it. Right. And then second of all, I realized that, wait a second, maybe I can actually do something work-wise in this field because I, previously, you know, prior to that moment, that wasn't what I was doing for work.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah, I found out about the language learning community probably about five years ago mm-hmm. um, at like age 37. And I was like, you know, I want to learn Russian. So I just went online and found me a, a Mark Thompson's Russian Made Easy podcast. It was like 30 lessons, and I did it in like a week. I got through the whole thing in like a week. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I, I like this. You know, because I didn't have to pay for anything. I didn't have to mm-hmm. take a class at a university or something. I mean, because they wanted like $400 for one semester. Right. I, I could learn this for hardly nothing if I find the right materials. I went to the library. And Uh I started finding, you know, typing in, you know, language groups or whatever in Facebook, and I found the Polyglot group, and I just started holding myself accountable and making videos of me speaking in Russian. And I joined the group and uh, started Looking up people and like, wait a minute, there are people out here to do this. I, you know, and, I mean, because I knew nothing, zero. And um, right, and then I went to Florida, and I was st- I was just using the Memories app, and um, and Michelle Thomas at the time, and a little bit of Florida and I went and I started speaking like Russian, like this blind chick was, I was at a NFB convention. I was having dinner with some friends of mine and I was saying, yeah, I'm teaching myself Russian. And this lady was like, started speaking. She's like, you speak Russian? And she started speaking and I just started speaking. And I hadn't been learning it for that long, probably about four months. And she was like, your Russian's good, keep going. And everybody in the the room was like, wow, you, you speak Russian? Why Russian? Mm-hmm. Why not Spanish? And I said, I, I speak Spanish too. But my confidence wasn't the greatest with my Spanish because I had negative experiences. Every time I would speak it, I would get negative responses, like all the time. And it just lowered my self esteem. Plus, it wasn't the totally. language of choice. I wanted to either do Italian, French, or Russian, but they didn't have that class at the school I was going to. So I didn't have a choice but to take it. But, um, I mean, I was good at it, the grammar and all that, and I was very good at the grammar. I just mm-hmm. needed to increase my vocabulary and speak more. But when you live on the east side of Cleveland in the suburbs, and all the Spanish-speaking people on the west side of Cleveland, you don't have very many opportunities to actually speak. And when I was learning it, all I had was a textbook and the CDs that came with it, some tutors, and a lot of music. So I, I kind of gravitated towards the music side of it, the cultural side, less speaking and more listening to like Ricky Martin or Shakira or Jennifer Lopez, Santana. I still listen to that music today. And I said, well, okay, I might not like to speak it, but I, I found something that I was comfortable with culturally, you know, in regards to the language itself. So that's what I gravitated to and I was like, Well, I don't necessarily have to speak it. I can sing along to it.
0: <laughs> you know
1: mm-hmm. I can eat the food. I could, you know, all those types of things. So I mean that's my Spanish uh side of things. I I'd rather sing to it than actually have a conversation. Even though I'm right. and speaking it, it's just...
0: What you feel more comfortable with.
1: Right. I'd rather speak Italian or, speak, or um, French or Russian. Right now, I'm di- diving into uh, Cantonese, Thai, and Turkish. So... But... Uh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... And in, in, for me personally being visually impaired I learn by ear so mm-hmm. a lot of it is I'll try to find materials in ebook format not pdf because um it's not 100 percent compatible with my software that's on my ipad I would have to read the pdf file in safari I couldn't put it in ibooks for example um mm-hmm. so when people send me PDFs, I have to read in a certain way, or I won't be able to read it at all. And that's time mm-hmm. consuming and very frustrating. So when I when I tell people all the time, I said, yes, I created a podcast show to talk about the trials and tribulations of learning languages, you know, from my perspective, because it is, it is a little bit daunting when you're using Apple products and you're using voiceover, and you don't have, you know, the resources to read a PDF file, you have to have it in an ebook format or TXT or rich text format in order to be able to read it, you know, successfully with with your software. Because PDFs aren't 100% compatible with text-to-speech software at all, or mm. Braille displays for that matter, at all. So some people that are in the blindness community can navigate around that, but not everybody. And so. I've, uh, I've had to mention to people if they're creating stuff, can you, as an accommodation, because you don't know when you're creating material for people, who's going to come on your site? You know, uh, can you make sure that your sites are 100% accessible under, you know, disability guidelines? Because if you're going to create products and they're educational, don't assume that only one one person or one group of people are just going to buy your stuff because that's not always the case. You got people from everywhere and people that have disabilities in particular, especially if they're print disabled and they can't read the print on the screen or they, their software can't read it because it's in a format that's not you know, compatible. Um, you might want to have TXT and rich text format available because number one, not everyone's using Windows computer and number two, not everyone's, you know, it, it makes it a lot more easier. So if they buy your program, they have an option to download it in these formats. Yeah. And so I, I always say, Hey, think about this, consider this. You yeah. know, and actually, I when I interviewed Richard Simco and Alex um, Rollins, Alex said, "I like the fact that you're actually like have a podcast and you're talking about these things because no one in the community knows a damn thing about it." <laughs> I'm like, I'm totally. sure they don't. I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they don't. And I said, you know, I mean, there are people out there that are blind that are completely blind, have no sight, and. You know, they have linguistics degrees and they do, they're able to travel, you know, to whatever country, if they have like family or whatever the case is. But um, aside from that, you know, I said, why not? You know, I mean, if, if Ollie and Chris can have a podcast and if this person can do a podcast, why can't I do a podcast? <laughs> so, yeah, I just celebrated my first year uh, two weeks ago. nice my my anniversary yeah so i was like i need to and and i i did see your i have been following your your page on on uh, youtube and i was just curious like what um was that creating your youtube channel was that a way for you to be able to you know a, get yourself out there and be more known in the community, plus put your language knowledge that you have um, out there for other people to be able to to learn from?
0: Yep, 100%. So it's a way to be more known, um, puts a lot of my knowledge out there. A lot of my online content basically becomes kind of like a resume for me. Mm -hmm. So backstory for work, what I currently do is I teach various languages locally in Calgary. Mm -hmm. So um, I teach English, I teach French, I teach Spanish, and I will do some basic Mandarin.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Most of it's a local focus. So it's very, very heavily focused upon Calgary. So we have a lot of local events that we do weekly, weekly events in Calgary for language learners, um, conversation events, um, we'll do we had a crit like we did obviously you're far away from christmas but we did a we did some christmas stuff like whenever there's major holidays we'll have get-togethers and such so it's a very local based community which then feeds a lot of my classes so a lot of my language classes that's currently what i do primarily for work
1: mm-hmm.
0: um long term that's most like most likely not what my full-time job will look like that that's my prediction
1: mm-hmm.
0: um And so a lot of my online content basically serves as a resume so that anyone who, so as I meet different people that, you know, they get different exposure points to what, to what I do and who I am. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And when there are, there are definitely work opportunities out there that I don't know about. And then when I, when people see what I'm up to, and they get to know me through my social media, through my content, through everything, they will think, Hey, I do X for work. Azarin is doing what he's doing i think i can see a fit and we should bring azrin we should see if azrin wants to come into the fold right so that's that's basically the purpose
1: now i have a question because i um evidently i'm sure some of your language learning is you know self-taught like (laughs) what what Materials do you actually use? Like when you're, you know, starting out. Like for instance, with mannering like do you yep. use Osimo or teach yourself, or do you combine mostly it? classes, okay. classes,
0: YouTube, um, dictionaries, um, whatever textbook is provided by the teacher. Um, those are some of the main stuff I'll use. Travel, I'll travel abroad, which I like a lot. Typically, oh. kind of stuff I do.
1: Okay. So I've
0: never purchased a study at home program.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have not taken a formal. Well, okay. Let's say five years ago, I I took a conversational Spanish course through the Hatley School for mm-hmm. the Blind and Visually Impaired, and it was free, so I took it, and it was correspondence. So I had it, the book in braille, and then I had the audio um, cassette. Um, that I could put in my device from the library for the blind, mm-hmm. and I would just sit there and do the lessons, and I would do like three lessons at a time, and then, well, one lesson, and then I would call in and do the assignment over the phone in Spanish, and I finished both mm-hmm. courses in like nine weeks, and she was like, "You need to study more languages." I'm like, i like, "I think I do. I mean, because I already took Spanish before." but I hadn't had a Spanish class in 12 years. And I was surprised that I even remembered 90% of the language after 12 years of not having a a single class. And so she was like, what have you been doing? I'm like, nothing, just listening to music all day. (laughs) And I mean, because you really don't know what, um, how much of the language you have absorbed when you're doing something fun like listening to music or reading a book or watching a movie because you're passively learning without even uh-huh. realizing you're taking anything in and for me that was a big breakthrough that was my key motivation to go on with russian and then after russian doing french and dutch and and, I mean, i meant probably, like, an A2 in French going into a B1. And the others, i meant like, an A1. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I try not to rush it. I'm not someone that I need to be fluent in, like, three to six months. Um, like, do you have, like, a particular time period for when you set your goal for that particular language? Like, is it, like, a year? I have years? a apartment
0: I have an arbitrary number that I decided that there's eight language by the time I'm 45, but it's arbitrary. Okay. It's more like I think it'll take. That's that's my prediction of how long it'll take me for the eight oh. languages I've chosen. I mean, I, I could be way off and it, it could be longer, shorter, who knows, but that's my prediction. Especially considering for myself, um, I'm a little bit different than some language learners in the in the sense that I... I want to achieve a a very fluent level in every language that I study. Right. So very fluent as in something that is comparable to a native speaker? Right. Um obviously I won't be as good as a native speaker because they've had you know a lot more time and 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 essentially experience with the language. Right. But something that's comparable that is reasonably in the same range. Right. And so that's something where going back to something you said of doing a lot of passive study where you're learning and acquiring things and you don't really realize even how much you're learning. That's a hundred percent true. That can absolutely happen. What I'm interested to in know is at least for me, I don't think when you're trying to get to a very advanced level, like a very advanced level in a language, um, if you want to, for example, myself, I want to be able to write a 15 page academic paper. Listening yeah, to music for yeah, me. You you
1: me to get there. Yeah. You technically, right. you, know,
0: you want to be, like, C2 in that, whoa. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it'll take me, it takes me, I had a conversation with someone um, three, four days ago, and I told them how I have, you know, I, it'll take me about 19 more years, because I'm 26 right now.
1: Right. Um,
0: my prediction is that it'll take me another 19 years for me to do, to finish up my Mandarin. Um, to finish Gujarati and then add Hindi, Russian, Arabic. And then the individual I'm speaking with said, oh, wow, 19 years for like, for that? That seems like a lot. Like you could probably do that way faster. And he's right. Like if the, if the goal was to become conversational or have a intermediate level or something like that, for sure, like I think it, it is very possible to have it done in less time than that. In fact, if that was the goal, then Mandarin and Gujarati would both be done. Like I'll be, I'm already there. And right. then i would just be moving on to Russian Greek, and Hindi. Yeah, but right. for me, that's not the goal. And so I know it'll take me five, six, you know, seven, eight, whatever number of years mm-hmm. per language of doing con- reasonably consistent part-time study with a couple of t- trips abroad intensively. Right. For me to get to that kind of really strong kind of level.
1: Yeah, I know for me personally, when I did Russian, because I'm one of those people where I'm a history nut, mm-hmm. so I love history, all types of history, and my education was very bleak in high school, so I didn't have, like, world history or American history or government. They just slapped me in a modified class thinking that I wasn't capable of learning anything. Come to find out I was. Uh but, you know, you the American school system sucks. So I've had to teach myself a lot of things. And, I mean, like a lot of people, if you don't have algebra or trigonometry, geometry, calculus, physics, okay. A, are you really missing out on a lot? Not necessarily. When I look at it, your basic math skills are probably more important than trying to figure out a physics problem or, I mean, unless you're going into like some type of science, some type of medicine, some type of, um, you know, engineering, you know, anything of that nature, the odds of of you using it on a daily basis are like slim to none. You're going to probably use your basic math skills more so than any other math you, you know, may have or have not acquired. So, I mean, for me personally, like when I learned Russian, I was all about the culture, the history, the politics. the And I literally spent, I kid you not, two years on Russian by itself. One year on speaking, nothing but speaking every day. And then another year on listening. And I mean to everything I can get my hands on. Whether it was books. I had a Russian channel. TV channel for my cable subscription. And I had that thing going from sun up to sundown. So from 6 a.m. in the morning to midnight. Seven days a week. And I was able to understand the news. I was able to understand this. I was able to talk about this. And that. Now I didn't do what a lot of people did. Like I didn't focus on the writing aspect. Because I was like... I don't want to write like a 20 page thesis. You know, I want to be able to physically communicate with these people and I want to be able to cook stuff and, you know, things like that. I mean, and it was amazing when I was able to actually understand the news and understand TV shows and understand like speeches that Putin and Lavrov were giving, you know, about different topics. And, I was like, "Wow, I love this!" You know, I pretty much did a whole immersion um, process in my house without having to leave, which I would love to go to Russia. Trust me, I would. Um, but I mean, I, I used that method um, to really like um, get connected with the language, and now that voiceover on my Apple products can read subtitles. Um, you know, I'm like a Netflix junkie. I will sit there and watch like stuff in Thai and Cantonese on my big TV. And then I'll have voiceover read me the subtitles. Like I'll have the English subtitles and I'll watch like a whole series on, on Netflix and Cantonese. And I'll get the whole gist of the whole entire series and what it's about. And then I'll turn off the subtitles and I'll listen to it in the actual language. Cause when voiceover is reading it out loud, it, it overpowers the actual speakers of the, you know, that's on the show. So I do it that way. And while I'm doing that, you know, I'm getting uh, as much feedback as I can from, you know, how they're, they're producing the tones, what they're saying, even though I might not understand all of it, I might understand a little bit, but as long as I get as much exposure is possible. you know that that's like the highlight for me like to be able to you know watch a movie and understand what they're saying or read a newspaper article. Now when it comes down to French, Dutch and Italian because I already took Spanish and you know I'm a native English speaker, the vocabulary is not that difficult. My passive knowledge of the language isn't that difficult. I can listen to the most advanced podcasts. I can listen to the news. All that type of stuff, and it's effortless. You yeah. know, coming from a passive point of view, I just got to activate it more. But um, yeah, I, I kind of did the opposite. I, I forgot who, who was the guy, that he spent ten hours on Japanese. I guess he immersed himself in ten hour, ten thousand hours of Japanese and became fluent after ten thousand hours. Or something like that. It was I forgot who the guy was. But he became like really known for, you know, immersing himself in the language. Like one hundred percent. And I was like, wow. That's like awesome. But yeah, I, I I do find um I was reading your post, I think it was the one you had written yesterday. Um you had said something about how you were learning um you were still trying to learn a vocabulary that you didn't know uh, in regards to you know interacting with the children in taiwan aside from the children that you're living with in your host family and i said that is kind of okay yeah. we are back yes for some reason okay.
0: and then um, just so you know, before we start here, I've got about, like, five minutes. It's pretty late okay. here in Taiwan. I got an early start in the morning, but about okay, five minutes. Oh, that's fine. Minutes, so oh, yeah.
1: no, that's fine. Yes, so okay. you were
0: asking me about, you said, I, it cut out. You said, I'm curious, and then I couldn't hear you anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah the app likes to cut out sometimes, for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I forgot what I was asking you. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, do you feel that by being in Taiwan right now, that you, you know, d- despite the fact that you've learned, you know, a considerable amount of, of, of Chinese already? um do you feel like it's becoming much more easier to
0: yep 100%
1: blend in you know with the people there
0: yep yeah 100% because that's all I do every day like this is the most English I've done all day
1: wow see I would love to do something like that Uh, I was gonna ask do do you have any headaches from it I mean that's a lot of speaking
0: um I had a headache a headache earlier today, but not because of Mandarin, just because of fatigue. <laughs> like not language fatigue, but just completely right. unrelated, just not, you know, unrelated. Right. But no, generally it's 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 okay. Um Yeah, I find it's okay, personally. Uh I've done it you know, I I, I um this isn't the first time I've done a trip like this, so it's I've I guess I've gotten used to it, and I find usually the the frustration often comes from um doesn't come from like the the, the mental tiredness doesn't necessarily come from the fact that you're always speaking the language and such. Mm-hmm. It comes from a lot of the at least for me anyway. It comes from the fact that.
1: okay so you were saying about not having that much fatigue really because you've done this before yeah
0: and it's just a lot of that mental like the punchline is it's a lot of the negative self-talk that leads to at least for me that leads to more fatigue than the actual learning Mm -hmm. the learning as well like i think you need to build stamina like i know i i think you have to build stamina and get used to it right so for me this is not the first time i've done it and also um it also depends on how advanced you are before you come right so the less the more beginner you are and the more you're throwing yourself in there the more fatiguing and tiring it can be i find the more advanced you are, then it's less tiring.
1: So basically, which is also
0: obviously a big factor.
1: So basically, if you were to sum it up, if you went to a country, you might as well at least be somewhere between a B1, B2 before you even get there.
0: Could be. Uh, I've I've gone with a lower than B1 before, and I still find it very worth it.
1: Okay, if you can give my listeners like four tips um you know in regards to you know language learning in general um especially if they're going they abroad what mm-hmm. would they be because a lot of people don't really get they think okay i can take a i can take a book and i can go and i can learn the touristy stuff but you know going abroad and traveling and trying to navigate yourself through a culture and a language, you're just learning it yourself. It, you know, it's a complete culture shock once you arrive. So, I mean, like...
0: A yep. couple things I'd say is find a homestay family to live with. Mm-hmm. You can just Google homestays mm-hmm. in where you're going.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then you can find a local family to live with. Uh, number two, if you can find um if you can save some money take um take taking intensive or a, even if it's just like an hour two hours a few hours of, of lessons a day can be very valuable mm-hmm. um often language schools will, will be a, even if you just take some classes
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do I say this let's back up so ideally if you can take you know two two plus hours a day of classes that's going to be a great start mm-hmm. um you learn a lot The other thing about taking classes is that the school becomes a connection point for you in that city to help you know what to do, where to go, where to meet people, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a big thing to help. Um, Schools will often will often also set up a homestay family for you. Depends on the school, but sometimes they will do that. Um, I would say number three. A great website to use to meet people, especially if you're in a larger city, is meetup.com. So M-E-E-T-U-P.com. Um, great website to be able to meet different people. It's basically a website for, with clubs for adults. Mm-hmm. So oh, school clubs, when your child is clubs at school. Well, this is like a, a website that organizes clubs online and it's for adults. So you can find a hiking club, you can find board game clubs, you can find video game clubs, you can find language clubs, you can find everything, food stuff. And you can go meet, you can go to these. Right.